0: Hey everyone, before we start the show, I want to let you know that we're proud to welcome Sabian as a new sponsor, and we're giving away 16-inch Crash from their new line, HHX Complex. All you have to do to be entered to win it is leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, then copy and paste that review onto our Facebook page. This Facebook step is important because it not only gives us a boost there, it will also be how we contact you if you are the winner. Here's what Sabian has to say about these new symbols. Using technology gleaned from years of developing some of the world's top-selling symbol lines like Evolution, Legacy, and Artisan, Sabian introduces HHX Complex, a new line of exquisitely dark crash symbols. The 16-inch complex crash employs a combination of HH and HHX hammering, a raw hammered bell, and a number of the aforementioned proprietary techniques – resulting in one of the richest, sweetest crash symbols Sabian has ever produced. So once again, to win a new 16-inch Sabian HHX Complex Thin Crash, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, then copy and paste it to our Facebook page between now and the end of October. Big thanks to Sabian for partnering with us and sponsoring this giveaway. Check them out on your social media platforms of choice and sabian.com. This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real
1: stories about making a living in music.
0: Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer, musician, and producer Jay Took. Originally from Saskatchewan, Canada, Jay grew up playing bass, drums, guitar, and piano. Before his eventual move to Nashville, Tennessee, he spent 15 years dividing his time between traveling the world, playing and singing with many artists like Michelle Wright, Chad Brownlee, Doc Walker, Dean Brody, Jody King, and One More Girl, as well as writing songs and honing his craft of producing records. Looking to expand his musical horizons and opportunities, Jay eventually made Nashville, Tennessee his permanent home around 2012. Jay continued to produce as well as build upon his reputation as a solid, tasteful drummer. All of this led to a three and a half year relationship with the band The Steel Woods. During the week of this podcast recording, Jay announced his decision to leave the band. With recording and producing projects on the horizon, Jay will stay busy expanding his roles in music, all while leaving room for growth in an ever changing industry. As always, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net to find out more information about this episode and all the episodes that we've done so far in the last three and a half years. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us now on YouTube. We are slowly building our library of past episodes. If you use the hashtag WorkingDrummer, we'll include you on Instagram and our stories. If you want to support what Zach and I are doing here at the Working Drummer Podcast, there's a couple ways that you can do that. On the homepage of our website, workingdrummer.net, you can find a button for PayPal. There's also a button that is a link to our Patreon page. Patreon is an easy and convenient way to support the podcast on a regular basis. Donations start at a dollar and you have access to the bonus material that we're providing on a monthly basis from past guests. As always, any donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. So here you go, my conversation with Jay Took. We're getting started almost, an, I think, an hour past what we planned because yeah. our buddy Jay here uh, has experienced Nashville traffic on his motorcycle in a not-so-fun way.
1: Yeah, uh, pay attention, everybody, because... <laughs> uh, if you cut somebody off, they're going to go down and they're going to be in a lot of pain and they're going to be pretty upset about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. You've got the boots, the smashed steel toe, uh-huh. and the ripped jeans to show that with 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 blood and, and scratches and everything, man. So <laughs> seriously, like we're glad you're here. Uh, we took a little bit of a break uh, to chill out uh, a little bit and had some coffee and a beer and a cigarette, and I think we're...
1: <laughs> I think I think I'm I think I'm good to go now. I've, okay, uh, I've, I've I've come down out of the uh, the shock ether. I think I'm doing all right. So, oh my gosh, man, is the bike g- gonna need like repairs and all the? Oh yeah, I tore. Uh, there was uh, uh, one of the pegs came off, and uh, one of the, uh, the one of the mirrors is out. Tore a couple tail lights off. We'll see. It wouldn't start when I left, so. I don't know. We'll see. I'm going to go pick it up after this and take it up to the shop oh, and gosh. see what they can do about it. So I always
0: like to start with current news, but that's about as current as you can get pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about like what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Like what's your schedule looking like? it um, have got a couple shows coming up.
1: Yeah. Right? We got uh, the band. I'm in the Steelwoods. Um We have uh, this weekend. Uh, we play a show in Memphis on Thursday, which is a headlining show. And then we go down to Orange Beach, and I'd have to look at the calendar for the other gig, but uh, we're yeah. doing uh, opening slot with uh, Leonard Skinner. Nice, and uh, our good friend Cody Jinks is direct support for that one. Yeah, um, so that's going to be a good time. Um, we we've, we've toured a lot with Cody, um, and he's uh, that whole camp has really become good friends. You know, we all everybody talks to each other all the time, and yeah. You know, when they're in town, some of his guys live in town, they will come over to the house and we'll grill out and do stuff and you know, when Cody's in town, um, he'll come by and we'll drink a beer and hang out on the deck and just catch up and it's good. It makes it makes that's the part of touring that for me is is the best is when you when you meet these camps and these people that you get to you get to make these relationships with. You know, when you meet some some folks that are uh uh just kind of realize that you know we're all in this together and you know there's a there's a real camaraderie that happens from yeah and i i really i love that kind of thing i don't like being on tours and this hasn't happened for a long time i mean but um in the past when i was living at home i'd been on a few tours with artists i've been playing with where we were the opening artists and uh you know people can be a bit uh bougie is that maybe the word sure you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. just people don't uh they're not really uh wanting to make friends they are just sort of there getting in and out and you know there's a bit of a feels like there's a bit of a hierarchy to things sometimes and i'm not a huge fan of that kind of thing so
0: right right i I mean no matter how you slice it being on the road
1: is being on the road yeah we're all away from our families and yeah we're all trying to achieve the same goal you know and it's nice when you run into like-minded people like that on the road like You know the we've toured with blackberry smoke those guys are the same way and the whiskey myers guys out of texas like you know everybody's friends and it's like oh yeah it's so great we couldn't you know everybody's excited that we're getting together you know Text messages go out the week before. Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be great. You yeah, I yeah, kind yeah. of think so. Sometimes the hang is the only thing you have. If
0: you're, if you're playing in these venues or the, like these large sheds where they're out in the middle of nowhere, there's no place to go. And sometimes that can be the joy of traveling and touring is you'll be in these cool towns and you can check out, you know, uh, different places, coffee shops and, you know, um, what am I thinking? Um,
1: we do a lot of pawn shop hunting. Pawn shops. Man, yeah, there's there's a lot of uh you know gear acquisition syndrome exactly. uh, guys on our bus. So we exactly. you know we spend a lot of time on Craigslist and and uh just you know oh this is cool. You know uh, yeah. Johnny Stanton, who's our bass player, he and he and I especially we go back and forth quite a bit about just goofy old some weird Italian bass made for one year in the fifties. That we'll you know we'll find some random thing or you know we'll go out and hit pawn shops and just look for odd stuff. And I found some pretty cool stuff. Cause you're not gonna necessarily find that stuff
0: at a decent price in a town like Nashville no. or Chicago or a place like that. It's gonna be like uh Manhattan, Kansas.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I've had good luck in Omaha, Nebraska. Exactly. Yeah, I bought uh I bought a uh thirties leady uh eight lugs uh six and a half snare um out there for a hundred and I think it was hundred and twenty five bucks. Did, did did that end up on the last Steel Woods record? It did, yeah. It's on uh, it's on a couple of songs. Um, it's uh, it's a pretty specific drum. It kind of does one thing really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know when you need that uh, kind of mid tuned open. You know the ring is just enough in tune with the track kind of thing. It, it does that really well, and it takes the uh, muffling really well. It's got a it's got a really unique low end to it. Like it's not like a a, a modern drum where you can. I find uh, anything newer, you get a lot of accelerated, like 125 hertz, like the real (laughs) kind of sound with it. It, This this one is just like tune it down a little bit and and throw a you know a big fat snare drum on it, and it's perfect. That's all. It almost out Steve Jordan, Steve Jordan a little bit. (laughs) This is what you describe
0: to your spouse when they say. Why do you have all these snare drums? Well, um, let me explain
1: to you. 120 hertz with this new one. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just goes, do you really need it? And I go, yeah. Okay. <laughs> do you
0: Especially for the price. I. You know, it's so funny. Like when I first started working retail, I thought, man, there's all this, these beautiful new drums and I bought a few expensive ones, but it was always the fifty dollar, one hundred fifty dollar, two hundred dollar drums that ended up uh, ended up on recordings, mm-hmm. you know. So it that began to infiltrate my collection is all these cheap drums, you know, or cheaper drums. Yeah, you know.
1: And I think, I mean, I stopped really caring about gear. I used to be, I mean, I used to own seven or eight sets of drums and bags full of cymbals and just all this crap and and once i a long time ago i kind of figured out that you can kind of make anything sound good if you if you sure you know what i mean like i i've done some of my favorite uh drums that i've ever heard like even like cheap old export kits mm-hmm. on a recording sound mm-hmm. amazing yeah you know um And, but yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I've got this, I've got a bunch of just cheap weirdo drums that just do the thing better than anything else, you know?
0: One of the things I want to get into is this whole, like, your change in approach or your perspective on playing, how it changed when you decided you wanted to move to Nashville. We'll get into that as far as like sound. But that's the one thing that I've noticed about is almost doesn't matter the gear it it's it's your approach it's the touch and tone because we've all we all were at that moment that we all had that moment in life when we heard the drummer sit down on a cheap kit and just made it explode and sound amazing and you're like what happened how does this player sound like this and i don't on the same set of drums
1: so much of that i mean you're right it is so much in touch it's like guitar players Mm i mean or bass players even anybody that really anybody that plays a stringed instrument, I mean, like you can have the same guitar player or have uh, like four different guitar players pick up the same guitar through the same rig. And it's going to sound exactly the same. Or it's going to sound different. Sorry. (laughs) You know, they're all, they're all going to have their own thing to it. Their touch and the way that they attack the strings and how hard they fret the instrument and do all that kind of stuff. Um, And drummers are the same way. I mean, there's, there's a real art to hitting a snare drum. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a right way and a and a wrong way to do it as far as getting a good tone out of it, yep. which is why I think that you could sit down on any drum kit, mm-hmm. you know, and tuning has, has a big part to do with it. But I mean, just so much of how you approach playing the drum is an entirely different thing. And it, and it, and it varies from drummer to drummer and it all has to do with that stroke. Um, years ago I had a guy back home talk to me about the importance of, of not playing through the head. Hmm. Which I thought was really interesting, and, and what he was talking about was, you know, at the end of your stroke, you know, he would he would say if you were just to be playing air drums, the way that you're playing the drum, the way, where your where your arm is going to end, yeah, and that stick is going to impact, yeah, and do everything. If you think about it, what you're doing coming down and and wailing and just sort of letting all the the power of that stroke end is it's halfway, you know, if you're hitting a floor tom, it's it's six inches under the head. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's that whole thing of like you know being able to sort of sit on top of it and and make sure that the very end of your stroke is is as close to you know hitting that snare drum or that tom or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that makes a big difference. And I think at the time I was I was reading books and, and articles and stuff that Freddie Gruber had written. Oh. You know, because his whole thing is the dance above the drums, right? Yeah. And and I I took that as a as a thing where. I started making everything that I did above the drum kit and above the heads, mm-hmm. um, try and make it in time. Right. So when I'm playing the hi-hat down up, you know, I would put my hand up and I would do these things where I just started to internalize it so that I wasn't, you know, flailing and doing stuff. So and then that grew into this, you know, at different velocities, trying to make every movement in time and it just and I think over time I started to internalize that and that really helped um in the last 10 years that's something that I've really I've really focused on I've stopped really working on burning a million chops and doing all mm-hmm. these things is it's how can I make the drums sound good how can I um get into uh making uh like controlling the hi hat and ride cymbal patterns or just anything that you're riding on like mm-hmm. how to how to you know I call it you know like getting into the chorus of a nice you know 120 bpm tune you know, getting into the chorus and I call it the lean, you know, where you just sort of get ahead of it and you and you're moving that just a hair different than where the verse is and where the pre chorus is gonna be and yeah. that kind of thing. So it's it's uh it's been a it really interesting process because the amount of technique that's involved in all of that is uh I mean, you can study that for the rest of your life and you will, you know, you will only ever get better at it.
0: I I, I will study for the rest of my
1: life for sure. <laughs> Yeah, It is so funny. I
0: mean, it, it, there's a great YouTube video of you guys playing at Third and Lindsley and the tones that you're getting out of the drums. I mean, I know there's a lot of Moving parts in that. There's the drums themselves, the beautiful pearls you have. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the the mics, you know, all the the camera, whatever is happening. But still, I can see, you can you can see the technique. You can see what's happening, and it's like, of course, that snare drum sounds like that. And then that is so you've got there's time, there's groove, there's things. But when you when you are creating a sound, the rest of the band can't help but fall into it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Is that the innovative yeah. percussion video? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It is. And that's that's basically just my in ear mix. Um, I took and you know I I took the audio from that and just leveled it up. But that's, I mean, there's no. not a lot going. That's the sound of the band. Yeah, in my ears.
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm kind of ins- inspired to to touch on this subject a little bit. We don't get a lot into mechanics or gear or technique, but I'm kind of on a kick ever since I uh, had a conversation with, with Todd Sukerman more about just the relaxed grip and really being conscious of tone as part of the skill set that I'm personally trying to develop to be a better recording drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we are all thinking about chops and and all these different things, or we're, we're playing at a high level. But part of that that gets glossed over is your tone and your touch, your consistency, and the what you're describing to me that that t- keeping time opposite of when you're striking the drum mm-hmm. is a big part of. Creating that groove, creating that tone, um, and it also looks cool. You know, if you turn the sound off, you'd be like, "That's and and you know so and this I think this is important in the age of social media. Mm-hmm. Everyone's scrolling through their phones, and nobody has the sound on. And every once in a while, you see that drummer playing, and you're like. I don't even want to turn the sound on, because that, yeah. that looks exhausting. Yeah, and yeah. then there's that one, like, what's going on here? And then click the sound. That's what I thought I was seeing.
1: You know what I'm saying? You can almost just tell. I mean, you can, yeah, you, you know, it. And there's, like, you can. I, I'm the same way. Like, you can watch a guy and <laughs> and just go, this isn't going to be good. You know, and and it's not to be judgmental or anything, no, but no, it's like, no. it's it's like, this guy. Got a couple of cameras and, and he's got a couple of good hashtags and he's got a bunch of followers, but he shouldn't be doing this. You know, he shouldn't, yeah. you know, putting this stuff and you can just, it's that inefficiency of motion for me. Right, right. You know, right. all of my favorite drummers early on when I got into, you know, just outside of playing over Def Leppard and ACDC tapes in my room when I was a kid, when I really got into stuff like watching, da- do you remember with David Brizzi's from Pearl Jam? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the first time I saw him play was that unplugged thing, you yeah. know, and he's got this fluidity to what he does. And it was just like, that was kind of the moment for me where it was like, man, that's just, it's such a great thing to just watch him do that. And I, and I borrowed so much from him. Will Calhoun, mm-hmm. you know, I remember being 15 years old and getting the first Living Color record and seeing them play on the City Hall show, you know, and just like, He's got that thing. It's his fluidity of motion. And it's not, he's not working real hard, but he's doing a lot. But, yes. and, and, you know, even the guy that, the, the, what was it, Chuck something, the house drummer on the Arsenio Hall show, played open handed. He had a big rack. It blew my mind when I was 12. You're right. Um, you know, but all of that kind of thing, and there's, there's really something to be said for that. And, and, and there's a, there's a big generation of um, guys that have come up uh, with drummers that will, uh, I won't name names, but, uh, have been known to put their hi-hats really high up in the air. You know know what I mean? The, the kind of Travis Barker thing. And I think Travis Barker is the exception to the rule because he's, when you listen to him, he just sounds like a guy that's, that he really knows what he's doing, you know, and he's, he's a great drummer, but he's bred this thing of, you know, cymbals up really, really high. And the hi-hats are up really high and the toms are real flat. And there's all this distance that you have to cover Mm -hmm. to play something. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, it, I think a guy like Travis Barker just sort of, that's just what he did and that's what he knows Yeah, and he kills it. But there's a, you know, I watch an entire generation of drummers that have these things and their technique is all weird. And, you know, they, they drag going into fills and there's no real pocket and things Mm -hmm. just kind of fall apart because there's that inefficiency of motion, Yeah, you know? So it is, it is really interesting because every, that is what's unique about our
0: instrument is there's so many ways to set up the drums and when you just sit behind someone else's kit, you're like, "Wow, like either how does this player do this, or this is a great idea? I need to do this myself, yeah, you know, and you find that thing, or what is it about your setup that may be keeping you from doing the things you want to do yeah uh versus what looks cool or what you think looks cool mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's an interesting thing i I was saving some of this topic for later, but we're, we're getting into it. You, you had mentioned in another interview uh, that y- you know you were into the Vinny stuff. You were you know just kind of really trying to hone your chops in a sense. And then when you started to look towards moving from Winnipeg yeah. to Nashville you're starting to become more familiar with some of the players that were on records and who was doing what Chris McHugh, for example, and saying, okay, this is what I want. I want to be able to play two and four like a motherfucker. What, what does that entail?
1: Well, I went from, I think where the understanding of that really started to come from was, um, I got a, a, an artist that I toured with named Jody King, um, this Canadian artist. Um, it was a pop gig. It was three of us and there were some tracks. And I had um, a couple of years prior gotten hip to Chris McHugh, uh, this band that I was on the road with. Uh, they had this, there's this old live DVD of Keith Urban at some theater in California. Have you seen it? I have not. I couldn't even tell you what it's called, but yeah. it's unreal. And, you know, McHugh's got the Bonham kit. He's got that Vista Light kit. And um, just watching him play and having uh, some friends that had worked with Justin Niebank, who engineered a lot of those records, and like having, you know, hearing stories relayed from them about who's the drummer you have to fix the least. And they're like, Chris McHugh, you know. And, <laughs> and because he's just, he's got this thing nailed, you know, he's, he's the king of, of, being able to shift the feel within the music, but not changing the way the music feels, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it was like the chorus thing. Yeah, exactly. About. Yeah, mm-hmm. the lean, you know. So so when I got the gig with Jody, it was like I went out, kick snare floor, uh, ride, crash, hat. That was it. I did that for almost two years. And yeah. it what it did is it forced me to stop thinking about um all this other shit that I had to hit. Yeah. You know? And it really focused me on boom, whack, repeat. And, and what were
0: you playing before that? Before you had that, use that setup.
1: Uh oh man, uh, a lot of stuff. I had, Octobons. I had bonds. Well, not not quite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, before that though, you know, I, yeah, like I was into Vinny and and uh, uh, Carter Beaufort a lot. Danny Carey is is a big guy for me. Um, you know, so I had eight ten. 14, 16, yeah. you know, three or four splashes, a couple of Chinas and a bunch of shit and just, yeah. you know. And I didn't – I mean, it could be I, – I, maybe I overplayed a little. I, I don't know, but I probably did. But, you know, it was just that thing of, of I was – I was more worried about all the other shit that I had to hit.
0: This is a safe space, Jay. You okay. can tell us anyway. Okay.
1: Yeah. I was, I was burning over, <laughs> <laughs> over Jesse's girl. That's what okay. I was doing. All right. um,
0: as long as it wasn't uh, uh, Tennessee whiskey.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and that, so I, I had a lot of stuff up, but I really wanted to get good at because I just started recording at that time too. And getting asked to play on things. And I wasn't happy with what I was getting. You know, I'd I'd, I'd go back in the room and I'd be like, yeah, this is good. There's like six bars in the verse that are really slamming. And then everything would just go to shit after that, Mm -hmm. you know? And I realized um, that every, and every drummer does this about, it's the whole thing about, and I probably talked about this in that other interview, but it's like, my philosophy is you're going to, if you're not internalized the time, you are going to Kind of rush or drag your fill into, say, the chorus or into the verse, and where you got to settle in, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're younger and you're, you know, you're playing eight bars, and you know, because when we all sit down and play eight bars, we go ba bugadum at the end, right? Yeah. Well, for me, I was thinking about, oh, I got this really cool lick. I've been, you know, working on one of the Gary Chaffee books or something, and mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm going to burn this really cool linear phrase, over, you know, into the chorus and whatever. Mm-hmm. And you stop thinking about the time, and you stop internalizing. Yes, that. yes, you know what I mean. So that was that was a big thing for me. And I started doing this exercise that uh, my friend Marty, this bass player that I played with, who got me into James Brown and mm. Clyde, you know, the whole funk drummers thing and like really that kind of thing is I would practice at 60, 80, and 100, and 120. And i go 60 and I would play quarter notes for like 10 minutes. You get quarter notes on the hi-hat. Just, yeah. Two and four and on just, the snare drum. And mm-hmm. just play that. And... Get it and fight that thing at the end of the eight bars to do the bop or whatever you know, yes. Pat Boone Debbie yeah. Boone, you yes. wanted to do at that point. And once I started to internalize that, I stopped thinking about the ends of the phrases, you know, and, and sort of losing focus on things. And it and once you, once you do that long enough, I think that's where you really start to understand what groove and what pocket really is because then you start to realize that you can, you can kind of shift within that a little bit, yeah. you know, in those time signatures. And that was great for me, you know? So when I, when I got out on the road to Jody, it was awesome. Cause I, you know, I didn't play really anything. I just played time for three minutes, you know, and I'd give myself challenges, like don't use the crash symbol this time, you yeah. know, that kind of thing, yeah. you know, yeah. like one headlight, there's not a crash in the whole thing. I, know. <laughs> I love it. And it's perfect. You yes. know, and that's really hard to do. Yeah, you know.
0: So. Oh, it's yeah, very because it's, it's instinctual, and where does that come from? And limiting yourself, I I did the same setup with with a with a girl I worked with for a, a little while, and I liked myself most of the time after almost every gig.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like there's 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 so much technique to be learned to play a million notes and play anytime signature over anything and anybody that's listened to you know progressive music in the 80s again like you know the dramas I listed like Danny Carey and, and mm-hmm. uh, Vinnie Caliuda and, and Carter Beaufort those are three of the best guys uh, yeah. at that in my opinion because there's always still pocket and feel to what they're doing yes you know but and, and it's kind of their own thing but like there's a real accomplishment to being able to play a three and a half minute song and not play a fill besides maybe going, you know, like just a little floor Tom hit before the verse or something coming out of the first chorus, mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. just there's, there's a real, there's a real sense of, 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 uh, you know, you kind of puff out your chest a little bit and just like, cause it's hard to do. It's hard to do that really well and come away from it feeling like you've, you've really, you know, s- s- you know, dug a trench as a lot of guys in town here say like for three and a half minutes, because yes. it's, and not lose, just not lose your shit, not lose focus, and, yeah, not lose, not lose any of that, and yeah. that's to me, that's the hardest stuff to play, yeah, you know, and i've I've worked really hard the last number of years to really you know learn and explore that as much as I can, because i I'm such a fan of music that and I'm older and I don't want to you know, I don't want to go in and burn a bunch of notes over some tune and just like, Hey, look what I can do. And all that kind of stuff. Like I really get off on playing a song really, really well, you know? And don't expect
0: to get a lot of praise from young drummers at your shows. No, Uh, it just, but expect if adopting this philosophy, expect that guitar player, that singer, that producer to be like, call this guy. Yeah. That's, what it's about
1: yeah if i don't you, need i don't need instagram likes i need my phone to ring <laughs> You know,
0: that's yeah
1: and that's what it boils down to
0: Sub, the title of this podcast has you've you've you called it man <laughs> totally called it i don't need hashtag likes i need phone calls yeah well i th- th- that reminds me a couple takeaways from that i i love this idea of not forgetting the time when that fill comes up because i am so guilty of that and 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 I know that. It's like, I know that that's the right thing to do. But to practice, to put that in practice is a thing. Uh, There was an interview, I don't remember, years ago that I I read or heard with Matt Chamberlain. And they said, what are you thinking about when you play a fill? And of course, his fills can be so just, um, I don't know, just so linear as far as nothing gets interrupted. It's not like groove. Comma, fill, comma, yeah. groove. It's not that. It's just you just you feel the transition. You feel this lifting of the verse going into the chorus. Yeah, the way he plays. Uh, but that. But he's like, I just concentrate on the time and where the click is when I'm playing this fill. So he's letting his technique, his instincts take over while that part of his brain is going, where's that click again? Where's this time feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and staying focused on that, not being a slave to the click but but hitching your wagon if you will, to yeah. the time so that that remains you you remain grounded, I think is what you're trying to say in the time,
1: yeah, in the basically.
0: tempo without losing it and and putting more weight on that than the fill itself,
1: yeah. Because you can ruin something, you can ruin a really great song by playing some big stupid fill going into another section. And you see it a lot. Like, you you know, you see cover bands, you know, younger players that, you know, are... are into that, that's still the, 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 phase of their playing that they're in, yeah. you know, and you can, and you see it walking around downtown sometimes. And you go down there and you just watch some guy like burn some ridiculous thing over, yeah. you know, like, let's just use one headlines as, as an example. Cause mm-hmm. you know, that was, that to me is, you know, you, you talk about Matt Chamberlain, like having that, cause that, that feel, you know, and he's got that thing and you come out of that first chorus, and, and it's just this little snare drum fill and it's, brilliant and if he'd gone you know some stan lynch thing it would have just totally ruined that whole tune yeah you know because all the all the groove and the you know the the head bob up to that point would have just taken a shit and he would have played it great but it still would have it just would have ruined that song yeah the whole force of that tune moving forward in the way that it does would have been completely lost. Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> and Bring It Down the Horse is one of my Desert Island records. Yeah. So if if you need a crash cymbal, just wait till the next track. <laughs> 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 All right. So uh, I want to get into a little bit about where you're from. Grew up in Weyburn, Saskatchewan.
1: Oh, you can pronounce it.
0: I can because... As you know, I've spent some time up there yeah. with our mutual friend, Michelle Wright. Mm-hmm. And what uh, was that joke? Uh, something about uh, seeing a couple dressed in winter clothing <laughs> in New York City. And they like, they look like they're foreigners. Where are they from? I'll go ask, honey. And the guy walks across the street. Hey, where are you from? Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And he turns around, goes back to his wife, and she says, what do they say? I don't know. They don't speak English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love that one that's a classic michelle (laughs) joke (laughs) (laughs) um i know some of this got covered before but i mean but briefly you grew up there you uh moved to winnipeg when you were about 19
1: yeah yeah yeah. looking to play yeah well the great thing about that town about winnipeg is um in the fifties, there was a, a bylaw put in that if you were going to have a cabaret license, which is what they issued for nightclubs, um, you had to have live entertainment. But it was it was great because there were so many venues, and cover bands were king up there. I mean, there's a lot of great, um, like the Guess Who's from there, and, and which I mean is amazing, and a, a bunch of other uh, artists and, and musicians. But the the cover band scene there when I moved there in 1997 was king. You were doing four or five nights a week at all these different clubs and there was there was I'm going to say 20 of them. And you know, some of them were big 2000 seat things and 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 you got people followed these bands around because there was like the pop band that did whatever and there was a band that did the the grunge stuff and there was somebody that did some harder rock stuff and then the classic rock band you know that did Queen and Bad Company and Zeppelin, mm-hmm. you know. But the thing about that scene was that you were expected to play the record. Oh, there was no let's just get up and hack out a bunch of power chords. Like I got a really quick lesson in, which was a way that I always, I think that I approached it anyway, but I it, it really got put into practice when I moved there because when I play along to records in my in my room before I moved out there, I mean. I was learning the record. I wanted to know why the kick drum was a little busier and for those about to rock Mm -hmm. than it was in the verses, you know, and I did all that kind of stuff. So, but those bands were amazing. Like Mm. everybody sang, you know, there was, it's before even tracks were really a thing. I mean, Roland kind of had those little uh, 3.5 inch floppy disc. Okay. Do you remember those? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, For sure. There's one band that played in that we used those, but it was you. Everybody was expected. The bass player played the part from the song from the record. I was expected to play, you know, no extra crashes, no extra anything. It was just <laughs> you're going to go up and you're going to reproduce this song as closely as you can. Yeah. And and I think that it, there's an art to that. I think for sure. And it and you learn a lot from that. And because um, you start, I, you, you really start to learn you know, what makes that song great. And when you play with people that maybe don't do that same sort of thing, you start to realize, well, this, why doesn't this song sound right? Well, because, you know, every, you know, you've got two guitar players trying to cover all the parts all at once where it's like, no, let one guy do it. Let the other guy do this other thing. And then let everything sort of come together the way that the song was produced. Right. right. And my takeaway from that was, was, uh, I think it really just instilled this level of, of respecting songs and Mm. music for, what it was you know and when you so when i get called for things like you know we'll use michelle you know Mm -hmm. the michelle wright gig i mean take it like a man you know yeah that song i don't even know who played on the album do you
0: i don't and i should it might have been paul it feels like paul yeah but i need to know that We i'm ashamed i don't know Mm -hmm. that
1: both of us should know that i know (laughs) Double ashamed. Yeah. That is a great example, though. Because that kick drum pattern in the chorus is very specific. Do you do the hi-hat thing? In the <laughs> chorus? It's it's in the verse. Okay. My my, 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 my question is, uh, is a no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think maybe I sort of hit the odd syncopated up- uh-huh. upbeat, but I... Uh, I it's was, not a
0: straight eight thing but anyways not to take away but yeah. Yeah, but it's yeah.
1: it's you know it's that thing of like learning that kick drum pattern in the chorus cuz it really moves around and it changes a lot and it's 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 so much uh, a part of the feel of that song that if it's not there it's not right.
0: Yeah, every other every bar changes ever so
1: slightly. And it's brilliant. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I miss those days. I miss the days of getting called for gigs and and it's not just four on the floor boom gap, boom boom gak. you know there was mm. that was that was a really great period at nashville drumming in in studios is you know guys making four bar phrases for kick drum patterns yeah you know? like yeah it's a bit of a lost art but anyway um what were we saying <laughs> <laughs>
0: well what you learned when you were in winnipeg and right. and and, and kind of how it prepared you for Nash. At what point were you looking to move? Uh, okay. and, and I should also let people know, you play other instruments.
1: I do, yeah. Yeah. I, I own a bunch of them, and they occasionally get played. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, at what point? Like, it it was really around that time that, that uh, you know, I was probably about 28 or 29. I'm 41 now. Yeah. Um, Where I started to, I I got a gig doing some with this band called Doc Walker
0: doing, yeah, utility. Yeah, those guys are great,
1: yeah, you know, uh, doing some utility work, um, and like guitar teching. I was kind of doing like three jobs, so I'd go up and play ganjo on a tune and, you know, on that kind of thing. And, um, Chris Sutherland was the drummer on that. Do you know Chris Sutherland? I think I'm, I've probably saw him play.
0: We did a couple opening shows for them, yeah, and they were awesome, yeah, yeah, and the drummer
1: was amazing, yeah, suds is. I mean, he was, he is, he's an amazing, amazing drummer. But, um, but it was right around that time that you know I, I was getting into the whole Nashville thing because the first tour I did with them, we were out with, uh, uh, Dirks. Okay. So, and this was like 2007. You know, and I and I remember, you know, I was still, I wasn't really, I didn't know much about country music. I had to Google who Dirks Bentley was because <laughs> I didn't know. What is a Dirks? What is a Dirks? You know. yeah. And Siri, what is a dirk? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody try that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and but I remember sitting there just being like, "This is really cool." And then I, you know, that I go back to that Keith Urban DVD I talked about, getting to look at that stuff, and it was like, "Man, I, I'd love to go down there and just see what I can see, yeah, and see what I can do." So I started coming down uh, with artists that I was writing and producing with. You know, right. we'd come down to do writing trips and whatnot. And then it was towards the end of that Jody King gig where they were taking six months off to write a record, and we came down and did a showcase for a label here with them, and and I got to know the city a little bit, and I was just like, I had nothing going on for six months, and I was like, well, fuck it, let's go and just see see what I can figure out, mm-hmm. you know, and it was it was just that challenge of you know what because you have no idea what to expect. I mean, Winnipeg is is an amazing music scene, but. You know, I came up in it, and I I was fortunate that I was busy, there, and I worked a lot and uh, and whatnot. But it was this whole thing of let's go to another country and let's go to this city where all these drummers, you know, like uh, that I I was studying, you know, that yeah. kind of pop country, just or just good rock playing kind of thing. And yeah. you know, can I go down here and can I hang? Can I yeah. can I get integrated into this? You know, and just came down and, and and pushed myself and that was it was really daunting and and scary but you know I I'm it was the best thing I've done you know yeah because it really makes you pull your bootstraps up because you realize that you know I, I I sort of eked my way into a session with and I can't even remember who was on base but it was a guy that I knew from a bunch of records and I was terrified <laughs> You know, I'd never seen really a Nashville number chart that I understood. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in this session and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sort of like the kid cheating in school. I'm watching everybody. Totally, I'm just sort man. of looking over the shoulder, going, oh, that's what they're doing. Okay. Oh, that's what this means. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's just like. And you don't want to ask questions. You yes. just want to be like, I got this, sure. But yeah, yeah
0: I do. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, like the, there's some parallels to your journey and. and 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 what I wanted to do when I left Columbus, like I loved Columbus, I loved the scene, I learned so much, great players, uh, good places to play, but I had to challenge myself. It wasn't about moving to a music city; it was about getting out of Columbus to see if I could do
1: it. Yeah, exactly. You know,
0: yeah. And 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 it was did you entertain the idea of other places besides Nashville?
1: Uh, I had a place in L.A. for about six months. Okay. Um, and that was uh, kind of an experiment uh, just to see um, mm-hmm. what was going on. I I didn't love L.A., um, and I wasn't there a, a lot. I paid rent for six months on a place there, but I was on the road a whole bunch. But everybody that I met um, – and maybe I didn't give it enough of a shot, but I just – I didn't – ever really feel like i i settled into the 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 uh the motion of that city yeah like there's there's a certain energy to the way that whole place kind of vibrates you know it's this it's this really interesting hive mentality of you know the traffic and the people and the right you know everybody I, i just never felt like i met anybody that didn't have an agenda You know, it's like everybody's got a screenplay in their pocket and everybody's trying to tell you about who, what party they were at last weekend with fucking Keanu Reeves or whoever, you know, just whatever. It's just, it didn't really seem like there was a whole lot of community. And so I just, I I decided to, I went back to Winnipeg for a little bit, got rid of that place. And then it wasn't long after that, that I moved here. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I haven't been out there, but it is interesting just that, There's so many different takes on the LA scene compared to here and, you know, just how that fits for some people in their personality or the music or the scene or whatever and how New York may fit, Chicago may fit, you know, but as far as community, there is no denying that Nashville, there is a music community. There is a drumming community. Mm -hmm. There is that, um, my co-host. Zach based in Atlanta, he's finding that in the last three or four years that he's been there and uh and and loving that scene. Um, I feel like I could just sit here and interview the talent that's in this town for the next ten years mm-hmm. or however long we, we do this podcast. You know, it's so easy to do. Were you producing a recording what during your time in Winnipeg?
1: I was, yeah. Um, okay. I got into, I mean, I was in, in, in bands and, and just, I mean, I, I was, I was immersed in it. That's all I did all day, every day was music and whether, you know, I worked at a part time in a music store and, um, started to intern at a couple of smaller studios around and was able to get some really great positions and learn from some really great engineers and producers. And, you know, and I, I always knew early on, uh, what a producer did, um, I was huge into Def Leppard when I was a kid. Like I was ten years old, Hysteria came out. My cousin played me. I think it was Don't Shoot Shotgun, which is a on the side B of the cassette. Mm. And I just something about it just Google whole... Google cassette. <laughs> That's what you need to Siri. What is a
0: cassette? Siri.
1: What is Def Leppard? Okay. <laughs>
0: um, what is Led Zeppelin? You've got it. No yeah. Def Leppard. Damn. <laughs>
1: um. You know, and I and I, I got really into them and, and read a lot of things about Mutt Lang and yeah. started to realize, you know, what he did. So, and I, I kind of knew that that's part of what I wanted to do. And, you know, I started writing songs when I was 15 and had a little four track cassette recorder, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Google four track, oh, um, <laughs> <and, laughs> you know, doing that. And then, so then anyway, fast forward to moving to Winnipeg, I, I got to intern with uh, at a, a couple of studios there with an engineer named Paul James who worked at compass point in the Bahamas where they cut back in black and oh wow. a bunch of stuff like that. And um, he was just a wealth of knowledge. And I wrapped cables and made coffee and, you know, just tore his ear apart anytime he'd let me do it. And so I got into recording bands and just sort of working with things or working on my own projects and whatever and then um, in and around you know 2006 2007 I I charged my first artist for recording them. And went down there and I had I I did relatively well. I did this I recorded this band called The Color, this Christian band um, that is still extremely successful up there. Um, and are starting to break into the U.S. and we had a really uh, a really successful record with them. A um, couple nominations or awards? Yeah, they won. Four. So the Canadian Dove Awards are called the Covenant Awards, and they got nominated up against bands like Thousand Foot Crutch and Manifest and all these massive, you know, U.S. you know successful U.S. bands. They got five nominations and took home three. Wow, which was insane. I mean, you know, and it was. And from there, I just—that was a nice little boost to know that I can, you know, I can do this and 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 keep going with it. And so I did, you know, a bunch of producing and stuff up there, and um, and then carried all that down here with me. Yeah. So my yeah. my goal when I came here was I wanted to be, um, I wanted to take all of the gigs from Chris McHugh and Rich Redmond, <laughs> um, and uh, be a hit songwriter and uh, and uh, uh, a Grammy winning producer. <laughs> with your lofty goals no well i i mean i was gonna ask you like
0: when you moved down did you have a vision or a plan
1: i did yeah i mean that was that was i i wouldn't say as much of a plan it was just more of a vision you yeah. know of what to do and quickly realized that i had no idea how this town worked yeah and and how things were and it, and it you know what minor successes and and what types of work you had back home really don't mean squat once you get here. Mm, mm-hmm. You know it's the well we don't give a shit what you did back home. Yeah. You know you got to put your time in, son. Right. You know. Right.
0: Yeah. Very 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 few exceptions. You know to that. You know. Yeah. But it it, it is. What what are you doing right now? Yeah. Or what can you do for us today? Yeah. You know, okay. before we call the next player, yeah, you know, or a producer, um, as far as those who are, I mean, the immigration issue and stuff like that, uh, to get into the United States to work, what's the situation for you now? Are you, I know you, you just got married not too long,
1: yeah, back in November. Um, I've been living down here on uh, what's called an O one visa Mm -hmm. it's like for
0: artists and creatives and
1: yeah basically anybody in the entertainment industry or athletes you know that kind of thing um and that's i mean that's a nightmare it's it's so much work (laughs) you know to get it because you know you have to be able to you have to be able to prove that you're not going to be a burden on society and that you know you're Mm -hmm. not going to do all these things there's a lot of hoops to jump through um, you have to get a lot of recommendations from, you know, higher ups in the music industry, um, or just whatever industry that you're in, um, and it's it's a process. It's nice that they're they're good for three years because they uh, it takes quite a while to kind of put everything together. I mean, sure. The last one I did, I did about a month's worth of uh, work, you know, in just inside of a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I've, now that I'm married. Um, after next year I'll be able to get my green card and gotcha. do all of that stuff, which is nice. So I don't have to be under this constant threat of something changing and, you know, yeah. you have to leave or, you know. Right. You know, I mean, it's... The current immigration climate is such a a crapshoot and the laws are changing constantly. Yeah. You know, that yeah. it's just like, I don't... You know, I, I I just don't know from day to day if they might... Because rev- they could just revoke all visas and kick you out and see you. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so...
0: My, my wife works as a paralegal for two attorneys that do immigration law. Okay. And uh, she could speak to that in great detail. I would uh, entertain the idea of having her as a guest and talk about immigration for anybody that's interested. But I'm afraid that that episode would be irrelevant in three to six months.
1: <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's a complicated
0: uh, thing, but um, it can be
1: done. It can be done. Yeah, yeah, it's just, there's there's a lot to, there's an awful lot to do.
0: I want to ask, uh, talk a little bit about Steel Woods. That started for you back, like, three and a half years ago? Yeah. Was yeah. when that whole thing started.
1: That band started uh, with uh, Wes and Rowdy, who's the singer, guitar player. Uh, mm-hmm. The two of them um, came together Um and kind of had a vision for a project, you know, and took some time and got to know each other and see if it was the right kind of thing. And then it's the, the process of it all coming together. Um, Wes and his wife used to come down uh, and watch this Wednesday night thing that I was telling you about before with Jen Friend and all those guys. Uh, they would come and watch us almost every I don't ways. know if we were recording
0: yet. We were talking about this before as uh, the, the, some of the, the... You were playing down at Crossroads when you got relatively
1: new to town? Relatively, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, the first year that I was here, I was back and forth a lot um, back okay. to Canada because I still had a couple of gigs up there that, uh-huh. so I was getting flown back and forth a lot but... Um, but it was playing downtown for, I played downtown pretty consistently for about a year and a half. Uh Um, and this gig that we had, uh, uh, Wednesday nights at Crossroads, it was a six to 10 shift. I mean, it was no country. We did lots of Stevie wonder and, you know, we did tempted by squeeze. Oh, that's cool. Like fun tunes, you know? And it was, it was great. And so Wes and and his wife Taylor would come down and, and watch us. And I, Kind of got to know him a little bit through that, just in saying hi and in passing kind of thing. And, and Rowdy, the other guitar player, had come down and watched us play because he's good friends with uh, Tyler Powers, who's uh, yeah, you know, a mutual friend of ours. And um, he uh, so that's how everybody kind of became aware of each other. And, and Rowdy had uh, um had asked me to come and play on some stuff with him. And anyway, so fast forward to you know a few months after that, uh, we I was playing with this guy named Jacob Stiefel. Um, And he got asked to do the show in Muscle Shoals called Music Row to Muscle Shoals. Mm. And the Steelwoods were on that. And uh, Elton Charles was playing drums. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, Jay Cott was on bass. And they asked me, you know, they hadn't really figured out what it was going to be. I mean, at that point, it was just the two guys and they were hiring rhythm sections as they went. Um, And they asked me, hey, you know, Elton's not available for a couple of these shows. Um, Can you come in and do this thing? these shows in Nashville. I said, yeah, sounds like a good time. And then, um, Elton got busy with Thompson square and other things that he was doing. So I just kind of, you know, I was there playing with them for a couple of months, you know, doing shows. And then it became this thing of, you know, do you want to be a part of this full time? And, uh, you know, at that time it was like, yeah, sure. I mean, we were doing like one or two shows a month, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, and then uh, Jay Cott was playing bass. He ended up going off and playing with uh, Brent Cobb and mm-hmm. uh, we brought in uh, the impenetrable Johnny Stanton <laughs> on bass. <laughs> and, uh, um, it just kind of became this thing real quick. You know, we The first run that we did was with Blackberry Smoke and we toured with those guys for about two months and that really kick-started the band. Um, the Blackberry Smoke fans are hardcore. I don't know if what you know about them. But just a little bit. Just they, to... they call themselves the brothers and sisters and they're they travel. You know, it's wow. like it's like when Green Bay plays football. I mean, they travel real well. There's they just people follow them all over okay. the place. And uh they really took a liking to the band. And uh and they started an online, uh, like a Facebook fan group, and a bunch of stuff. And they were originally called the Blackheads, but that just didn't fly. <laughs> they lost their whole teenage base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and they were, you know, and that that turned into a thing. And then after that, we went out with uh, the Whiskey Myers guys for
0: another. So the style, I mean, just to kind of break in here, that like the style is, is southern rock, uh, country, but just but almost. There's this almost been the surge of of bands that have have been really popular in the last you know five six years. Yeah, not necessarily a throwback to like Leonard Skinner. I know you guys are opening for Leonard Skinner coming up, and you've done that in the past. So there's a similar fan base to that kind of thing, rooted in tradition and in this. But it's not it's not country.
1: It's not. I, I always equate it I always tell people like, well, what do you sound like? It's well, if you took Merle Haggard and ACDC up to back in black and yeah. then Leonard Skinnard and kind of put it in a blender, yeah. I think that's what we sound like.
0: Yes. Yes. You know,
1: it's it's riffy, but um, you know, there's there's also, you know, gentle, uh, delicate tunes. Yeah. On the, you know, it's really all over the place. I mean, there's there's a lot of hats being worn. Did
0: you, did you have any, like any epiphanies about how to approach the gig once it really picked up steam and you're like, okay, I'm a part of this. And then you were out and you were watching the other bands, the other established acts in that genre, like,
1: well, in, I mean, in the beginning, I, you know, I, I kind of brought in my, uh, I, I'd listen to Blackberry Smoke a lot and, okay uh, Britt Turner, um, uh, big fan of his playing and his, you know, he's got a real good, just laid back approach and i really dug that and and i you know i kind of brought in listening to what he was doing and you know bringing things like well maybe you know like a steve ferroni vibe would be really good mm. to bring into that mm-hmm. you know um ringo is rooted in everything that i do so you know i mean you know as much as i can but then as it very quickly i realized that we can get loud and we can play hard you know so yeah. then my you know my years of listening to brad wilk and uh you know, Rage Against the Machine and all that kind of stuff, and Dave Grohl. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like for the moments of our set that we're really digging in, like yeah. I am channeling Brad Wilk and Dave Grohl, circa you know, you know, Queens of the Stone Age vibe, and the you know, the real Audio Slave kind of stuff, like just yeah. big quarter note hammering pocket stuff yeah you know and and i dug that so it's it's really just kind of all you know all over the place but then when we do you know we've got a couple of old country songs on our record you know and i'm i'm channeling all of those old players right 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 that you you just i gotta i gotta switch gears a lot in this band you know you guys do an
0: an amazing version of of whipping post on this last record thank you and i feel like there's a great first of all there's two takeaways for me it's like ah yes here's a good way to interpret that song and for one drummer (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and and here's a lot of shifting of gears from playing just big beats Mm -hmm. to playing more complicated things you know, to playing busier, to simple. I mean, it, it it encapsulates a lot in one song, you know. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great. Uh, but I just kind of, th- sometimes when you're like, okay, this is the gig, what stamp do I want to put on this? I've been, obviously, it's like they called me, they want me to play, uh, but what what is it that this band needs? You know, and it sounds like, you're taking a little bit from Blackberry Smoke. You're taking a little bit from the different genres that you're like, okay, this fits. This works well. Yeah. Did it, did it change your setup at all? Uh, a little bit. Uh, the Did you lose the splashes? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the. <laughs> the side piccolo?
1: <laughs> <laughs> My 10-inch buck. <laughs> um, it did, yeah. Like, I, I got into bigger drums. Um. Well, got back into bigger drums. Uh, so, yeah. I, so I'm playing right now. I've got a, a Pearl wood fiberglass kit. So it's 13, 16, 26. And then I've got a 20-inch a parade drum that I put legs on. Oh, cool. Because there's a bunch of stuff on the, on the first record and a little bit on, on old news um, where there was orchestral bass drum being used. So I was trying to emulate as much of that as I could live. Oh, cool. So the 20 is cool because you can tune it down and you, you can, it's not like a gong drum. Like the, the gong drums to me just kind of go and that's it. Yeah. Like this thing, I can tune it. And if I want it to feel like an eight Oh eight out front, it just goes, oh,
0: that's you know, awesome.
1: and when we get to do these bigger venues on these opening slots, it's nice. I could, you know, our, our sound guy just loves it. He'll bring the subs up and, oh. you know, it just makes your eyeballs rattle. Some yeah. It's pretty yeah. badass. Yeah. But yeah, man, I mean that, it really is like, especially if you listen to old news, because um, I'm only on about half of the first record on, okay. on Straw on the Wind. So Elton played on a couple of tunes and uh-huh. Wes, the singer, actually played drums on a lot of that stuff. Wow. He's a ridiculous drummer. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I hate it. I hate that. Yeah, I do too. You know, he's <laughs> I've really... been
0: in so many bands <laughs> with the drum, you know, so many plays drums and, and does it really well. Yeah. You're just like, man, just leave me alone. Do your
1: thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's good. So but on the new one, like coming into it, I mean, we'd had two years on the road at that point to really kind of hone in what we were gonna be. But I mean, yeah, it's it's really just you know, it ranges from you talk about whipping posts, like that mm-hmm. that version of that came out organically because I'd never the the Almond brothers weren't really a big thing in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I'd heard Whipping Post, but it wasn't like, you know, we're going to, when we're 50 and we're smoking pot and listening to music, like we listen to Sabbath and Metallica and, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't really that thing. So the first time that I ever heard the song really was playing uh, that Wednesday night gig with Tyler. And oh, guys. cool. Yeah. You know, and they're like, we're going to do Whipping Post. And I just was like, uh <laughs> and, it's an eleven, man. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> but that was the thing. Is this like you know the 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 bass player is like, yeah, it's 11 8 then it's six eight, and I'll I'll cue you when it's coming. I'm like, all right, screw it, let's go. And that was that bagadanto, gada got gada gada um Probably comes more from the Dave Brubeck stuff that I listened to, like the Blue La Ronda Turk. Blue Rondo a la Turk, That's right. Yeah, you know that... Um, you know. It's great. That's that's where I learned how to play it odd meters, was that song. It's just like, oh. one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, you know, learning how to count that stuff. Yes. So the bass player kicks the head off, and it's like, all right. So that's just what came out. And then it's like, okay, it's six, good, sit here. And then everything else, you know, and once I kind of had a handle on the tune, we played it a lot more and it evolved into, you know, well, this is fun. What kind of? It's I'm, I, the whole thing. I'm just ripping off Danny Carey. I'm just gonna call myself out. <laughs> like, you know, there's, uh, there's that whole four over six thing at the end of the solo yeah, uh-huh. that I do, and the Tom thing. Like, if I had an eight and a ten, it would sound like lateralists. That's basically, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 borrowing really heavy from that part of my life. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, yeah.
0: No, it 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 it's fun, man. It's fun. You guys have a you guys have a a couple covers. I'm trying I'm trying to remember what what the other oh oh uh, southern accent uh just kind of a tribute to tom Petty, yeah, for sure did that it did, was that like after he passed, and you were like, we have to do this
1: oh, yeah it was yeah, it was a decision that was made um they wanted to so the 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 vinyl is four vinyls, and so it's side a side b side c, and then side r i p oh wow. so that's why there's whipping post um yeah. there's the southern accents um the and the other two oh my god i'm blanking this is embarrassing (laughs) um but you know it was was that thing of like yeah we're gonna you know they they came in and when we started doing pre-production for the record and says we're gonna do a tom petty song and i was like are you sure like i'm I'm all for it but i mean it's tom petty you know yeah it's that's for me that's kind of hallowed ground you don't you don't touch the beatles you know Mm -hmm. unless you're going to do something and and we put that whole you know thing together, which is basically just Wes started singing and playing it. And we just, we played it about three or four times and that's kind of the arrangement that came yeah, out of it. Yeah.
0: You know, it's such a great, such a great song. Uh, 2016, I think was such a brutal year. It really was for artists. We lost so many people. I was still in the touring band and part of our show was doing snippets of artists that we lost and, our set list kept growing as everyone like, oh, okay, let's do this David Bowie thing. Okay. Let's do this. It's like, my gosh, stop dying. We're losing all these people. Yeah. What was the production vibe during the two records or maybe the se- the second record, the second record, which since you were fully involved in the second record, yeah. Was there a producer brought on
1: board? It was all pretty much self-produced. Um, the the whole process for that, uh, Wes and Rowdy uh, write all the music, pretty much. So they had you know kind of they've been putting songs together, writing together, and writing independently of each other, and with other people and that kind of thing. And we were in Texas for uh, a couple of weeks, and we had a few days off. We got an Airbnb and um, set up in the garage and uh, just jammed. Nice. and worked on the tunes, you know, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a little, we had our little in-ear box rig and, you know, a couple of microphones in the room and we just put some rough ideas together. So fast forward about a month and a half later after, you know, running those songs and check and kind of roughing out some ideas, we went to Echo Mountain in Asheville, um, which is an amazing studio. It's in an old church and uh, it has... I love Asheville. Oh, I do too. <laughs> I love that city so much. And it's just got the, I mean, the drummer you sit down, hit a snare drum and it's like, yeah, we're I, good. I yeah. want to go to there. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great, man. Um, you know, we did it in about, uh, it was, I think it was over five days. We got 85% of the record. And what you're hearing is pretty much all live.
0: Oh, sweet. Was there a click involved? In- yeah. Some okay. of
1: it. Um, mm-hmm. Not all of it. Um, but, uh, yeah it was just like everybody was up stations were up and you know like even most of the vocals on the oh, record awesome. is just west singing and playing live you yeah, know and yeah. it was that which i think was really great that we we took the time to do that uh p- sort of pre-production before right you know like so many there's there's uh are you familiar with butch walker I I know the name but he's an artist producer songwriter he's I I think he's the greatest thing but I watched there's a documentary about him that I watched and um the one of the last records they did we had this band called the Butch Walker and the Let's Go Out Tonights and and uh they you know they they wrote the record and then they toured it for 6 months and then they went in and recorded it oh that's awesome and there's a real thing that happens when you excuse me when you get to play that stuff um live together before you actually get in the room, because then you're not thinking about it as much.
0: And and, and I think to the listeners, this seems like, oh, yeah, duh, of course, this seems normal. But this is so, especially for a place like Nashville, so not a thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, because so many times when you get called to do a session, you're just coming in cold. Right. You're going to listen to a demo and read down the sheet, and you're going to go in. And Here's bang- the verse
0: and the chorus. Okay, go.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically, you know. Feel and- out the ending. Yeah, and that's, and I think that, you know, and it's not to take away from, I mean, there's the guys in town here that can, that do that all the time. They do an amazing job of, of getting it. They do,
0: but but this is a, this is a band thing, man. It just seems right. It seems like the
1: right thing to do. It is. It's, it's the right way to approach it, to, to do it. And it's, and it was a really incredible experience that whole five days because we were, you know, we were doing it. And we were, you know, we were ready and, and you know, there was no real like, well, should we, whatever, you know, and just kind of figure it out. We just went in and played it until we felt like we had the one, Yeah, you know, and that's a pretty freeing experience. And I think that, the, I think the record really captures that, you know, yeah. cause it's, it's sloppy in sections, you know, nothing's fixed. You know, there's, there's parts of that, you know, if you, you listen to it where, it's not always lining up, and Johnny and I aren't always playing the same pattern, and it's it's not perfect. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of that record. I'm really proud of the way that's, it came out.
0: Yeah, it sounds great. The sounds are amazing. Uh, did you have any input from other band members? A, hey, man, can you... Something that was like, oh, that's a good idea, or were you able to take direction from other players during that
1: whole yeah. situation? Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's definitely... The one thing is that we all are able to... Uh, have a conversation with each other about music and say what have you tried this and there's no real like you know there was never like a no that's not gonna work that's stupid Um, it was just yeah let's try it you know and there's a couple songs um, uh, uh, why am I blanking on the name of this uh, we can look it up here. yeah we can look it up Um, I was in an accident today sorry (laughs) <laughs> my brain's been that's, rattled that's your excuse tomorrow man um seriously man why am i blanking on this uh compared to a soul so on compared to a soul there's a wes had a really great idea in the solo there's a there's the back half of the solo where it's just quarter notes bashing on a crash you know uh, very very brad wilk you know and and wes the, the nice thing about having another drummer in the band is that he's got um his ideas are always good, you know, for the most part. I mean, he'll come in and have this sort of thing. And stylistically where we come from completely opposite ends of the spectrum, but, Mm. um, yeah, it's nice to just, you know, have everybody be able to talk around the room and you should try this. And what about that? And this kind of thing. And it's, it's a pretty cool thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything you learned
0: through, so it was about three and a half years, this window of time Mm -hmm. that we're talking about, uh, a takeaway about the business for you in working with the band that you'll carry with you moving on?
1: Hard work pays off.
0: What do you mean?
1: Well, this, you know, when I, when they, when it was like, you know, do you want to come do this? I was like, yeah, I had no idea what the schedule was going to become. Um, and, and, you know, the first year we did, we put over 60,000 miles on our bus which was a, I mean, when I say bus, I mean, it was a, an airport shuttle that had been outfitted with bunks Oi, and a co- yeah. couple of things, but, but just, just the fact that like, you know, this, it's not a radio band, you know, we're never going to be on iHeart or any of that kind of thing. And, and the nature of the fans that, that it, like this music, they seek it out. And so you have, you have no choice but to get on the road and just work, you have to play 150, 160 shows a year. Mm. You just have to, you know, so that you can be in all these markets. And, and you know, we're very fortunate that the, you know, the, the team behind everybody was was good to, and we're able to capitalize on a lot of mm. a lot of different opportunities and whatnot. But that's that's really the thing is that, like, putting your head down and just, you know, knowing that we're going to bust our asses and, and get out there and... Um, that's probably the biggest takeaway from all of it. Gotcha. You know,
0: is there, I know that in the genre, you've explained it in kind of just many different ways, kind of how rooted it is in reaching this fan base. It's just, it's as roots as you can get. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, to be in a band in 2019 is just has probably, uh, Unique challenges that you only find now than say 1979, right? 1989,
1: or even 1997, yeah, or anything. I mean the the biggest difference between I one of the biggest differences between now and like even you know when I was in my early 20s and I was in a band, yeah, and you know we had we toured and did things. Is the internet wasn't really a big thing so there wasn't excuse me it wasn't as big a thing and you you discovered bands or bands were discovered and kind of brought to you you know mm. um nowadays because you have the internet you can get the music in front of everybody easier um but it's just so diluted because everybody and their mom is putting out music, yeah. you know, and doing stuff. So, I mean, that's... By the way,
0: my mom's new record drops tomorrow. Cool, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sorry, go on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? She hasn't told me. Yeah.
0: It's to be released.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it's, it's a lot different in that, like, I think that you've got... Given the the right opportunities, you've got the avenues to reach a wider audience faster. True, you know, and I think that you know the the self made um, career is a lot more achievable. I will say, um, in that you can go out and you can, you know, with you can get out on the road and play in front of people, but also much easier keep in touch with those fans because they're going to follow you on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have a mailing list and you do all of these things, like there's, it's really opened uh, things up to, you know, being able to go out and just do it on your own. And if you've got a good head on your shoulders um, and you're able to make some decisions, I mean, you can put yourself, you can find yourself in positions that are beneficial to you as opposed to, you know, 20 years ago when I was in a band and, You know, uh, we'd go on the road and you're you are playing to the staff and you are playing to the whatever, you know, you're going to do that a lot longer, you know, in hopes that you're going to get a meeting with so and so at the label or you're going to, you know, when you're uh, when you're traveling in the part of the country where there are label offices trying to get somebody to come out or trying to take a meeting or trying to do all those things. I mean, it's 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 different, but it's the same.
0: And right. it sounds like, you, you, you know, back then you had to rely on the machine to take over and and promote you and get you in front of people. Now you can do it on your own terms. But also keep in mind, it's going to require you to spend a lot of your time reaching out to those people, keeping your Instagram posts up to date, yeah. doing all the social media that I think a lot of us despise mm-hmm. and have this bad taste in our mouth. But especially if you're pushing I mean we we're happy to do it for the podcast I mean it's something that you know Zach and I have have learned to manage in, in, a, in a way especially uh, because we feel passionate about this project mm-hmm. um, if it's certainly it'd be weird to turn it over to somebody else uh, because this is this is our this is our baby mm-hmm. and if your band is your baby then, yeah get on it man so that when you go out and do those shows you're playing in front of people Um, no yeah it is interesting just the way music is being marketed and how do you stand out from a saturated market
1: yeah Yeah. I mean because you don't really need a label anymore yeah you know if, if you know how to how to work advertising online and do all of that stuff you don't like you don't need the glorified bank loan
0: right, you know right. you
1: don't you don't need to go hugely in debt just to repay something for the right, next five right, years right. you know if you're smart about it and you know how to work the system i mean you can you can do it and you know case in point with so many people that have become celebrities just yeah. for being for not doing anything other than just being you know famous you know
0: This has been a a great experience moving forward, looking at the rest of the year. You're putting your focus on doing more producing again, Mm -hmm. uh, writing, playing with different people. So so it's been brought to my attention recently. You are going to be leaving the band and focusing on these things. So you've got a couple of shows coming up. So people are going to have an opportunity to see you how many shows are left with these guys?
1: Uh, I have three shows this weekend and then that'll be, that'll be it. That'd be it. Yeah. Okay. So after
0: that, where is your focus? I've got, uh, well,
1: I've got a couple of EPs, uh, that I'll be producing, um, between now and the end of the year, um, that are locked in. Um, one of them is this artist named, uh, Kenny George and, uh, from South Carolina, I think. <laughs> Um, but he, uh, a, f- a drummer friend of mine named Randy Borkowski, um, plays with him and just he sent me a video of, of them playing live. And the guy's voice hit, and I was like, wow. That's awesome. He, he's, just, he's got this thing. It's kind of like Bob Seger and Johnny Cash and maybe Brian Adams. It's all it's just, There's this raspiness, yeah, but there's this, yeah, yeah. there's this real, like, um, solid manly timbre uh-huh. to what he does and he writes great songs so um i'm looking forward to that one we're gonna we're are
0: you gonna are you just gonna produce or are you gonna also play drums i'm
1: just gonna produce this one okay because um, this band sounds great that's uh, great randy's a great drummer i and i haven't done that in a really long time so yeah. i don't i don't know what i'm gonna do we're gonna go over to uh welcome to 1979 okay which is one of my favorite studios in town um and uh just cause it's got a really good vibe. We can cut to tape if we want to, uh, Chris Mara, who's the owner and the head engineer over there is amazing at his job. And he's an incredible, incredible guy to work with. Um, so doing that and just, you know, um, yeah, I've got uh, some projects coming up between now and the end of the year, which is going to be good. And then, you know, it's still open to the idea of, of uh, going on the road mm-hmm. and, uh, into doing some other things. But, uh, Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to getting to spend some more time in the studio and
0: nice. You know, it sounds like closing one chapter and opening up a new. You have some things on the docket, but also keeping a frame of mind open to other projects, new things. Yeah,
1: I mean, you just because you just never really know what's going to come down Mm -hmm. the pipe. You know, Mm -hmm. it's you know, in my entire time in Nashville, which is you know coming up on eight years. I mean. It's, it's been an exercise in appreciating what the world throws at you, you know, because my, my grand and very naive illusions of what I wanted to do when I got here um, are way off the mark of what I'm actually doing, you know, um, but it's great, you know, and and, yeah. and I like, I it's, I love that, at every turn in this town, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to run into. You're never going to know what you're going to get asked to do. And it's pretty awesome, you know, because you find yourself in these positions. If you told me when I moved here, yeah, in four years, you're going to you're gonna be in a band and you're going to be, you know, traveling around all over the country doing 160 shows a year, you know, playing with Skinner and all these other bands that you love. <laughs> I would have been like, you're on drugs, you know, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. So.
0: Well, what is there a way that you market yourself as a producer or a songwriter? Um, a lot of it's just kind of word of mouth, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: I, uh, I guess it falls
0: in the same as
1: playing gigs. It really does. I mean, you know, I, I don't have a website. I probably should. Uh I know my manager would really like it. I know Chuck would love it if I had one. But you know, I'm just I'm on Instagram and Facebook and I mean that seems to be enough for right now. Um and you know, if people hear things that I've worked on and they like it, they you know they, they'll know how to find me. Yeah. You know. It, it really is this yeah, it's the word of mouth thing is,
0: is pretty key. What is are there is there a company or a name that you kind of hitch your name to, production company or stu- other studios? I know you work with Sean Power. Yeah. At the Hilson.
1: Yeah. my The the company name that I, I go under is, uh, is uh, Penny Arcade Productions. Mm-hmm. Um, but we work out of Sean's space, which he calls the Hilson Studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a great little... I have my mix room there. Um, and I do a lot of overdubs and certain projects. I, I, I choose where I want to record projects based on the drum sound that I need. Okay. You know, yeah, because it doesn't really matter too much where you record guitars because right. it's most of the time it's close mic'd, uh-huh. you know, you're not really getting a lot of the room sound. So, yeah. you know, the important, the most, to me, the most important part of the character of a great record is the sound of the drums. Yeah. You know, and there's a big difference between recording it in your garage versus, but sometimes that's the right thing, you right. know, you know, you just, and I've, I've worked enough here that I know, uh, I have my spaces around town that I like, I know I like to go to. So if we're gonna, you know, if we're gonna cut the band at, uh, like welcome to 1979, that place does a certain thing really, really well. Um, our drum room at Sean's place is great. Um, it does the big, if you need big rock drums, it's badass. hmm Um, it does, and but we can kind of tune it and do a lot of different things. But when that room is wide open and we have nothing open, you know, it sounds like everything sounds like Doctor Feelgood, and it's pretty rad. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's awesome, you know. But you know, and even with in my mix room, which is uh, not real big, but it's really heavily treated. It's super dead, and I can do that kind of uh, old Chad Blake real dry, uh-huh. you know, one or two mics over the drum kind of thing. That real vintagey kind of kind of yeah. thing, yeah. which is cool, but. You know, I also love sound Emporium B. I mean, oh right, that drummer is outstanding. Yeah, you know, and it's but it's but it's that thing of like you know I got to listen to the artist and go all right. So sonically, what are we trying to achieve here? Mm-hmm. And I always start with when they you know send me a night five examples of what you you know you think you want this to sound like, so I can listen to it and go all right, we can do this here at my place, or we got to go out and do this, mm-hmm. you know, if we're going to get something like that. And right. uh, it's pretty fun. It's a pretty fun brush to paint with, you know, knowing, like being able to go into these different rooms and, and, and get these really, how the drum sounds change dramatically from place to place. It's It's pretty cool. I think it would be a blast to
0: be in the studio and work with a drummer playing, you know, to, to be there either producing or assisting or doing something. I, I remember running into Trey Gray years ago at, at a coffee shop. And I was like, man, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm working on this record. All the guys are here. We're taking a break. And, oh, man, cool. Are you playing? I'm producing and playing. Nope. I'm not playing. I, this guy's playing drums. And he's badass. It's going to be great. And I'm like, what? Like, that's a thing? Yeah. I was like. That would be fun. Just wear that hat. Just not have the pressure of performing.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the thing is that, like, you know, the things that I do play on, it's hard on – I mean, it, it's hard to stay focused on everything, you know, because you've yeah. got to – on top of trying to play in time – but and also have some sort of pocket. You've also got to listen to what everybody else
0: is doing and bring that energy and and bring that energy. To the same song you play, if it's two, three, four, ten times, you know, whatever yeah. it is.
1: And if yeah. you know, and that's if you're tracking live. Like if we do, right. if we're building tracks as we go, it's a little easier because sure. then I just have to focus on, you know, thinking a few steps ahead, knowing that you know I'm gonna play the drums this way to this acoustic vocal thing. And then we're going to build a track around it, you know? Yeah. So sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong,
0: but I want to talk about one last thing. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about endorsements. Mm-hmm. It was a, we used to cover it uh, here and there. Um, but I think it's time to kind of get back to talking about it because I think the landscape has changed in the way people procure these endorsements. Uh, because, there was a time when you could go to these companies and uh, say, "Hey, I'm I'm uh, working with this artist," or "We're on tour," "We're doing," these, and those things are all still important. TV time, uh, you know, just getting people getting eyes on what you're playing. But now with social media there and YouTube, there are people getting endorsements that have never been on a tour before. Mm-hmm. So, can you speak to anything? In regards to that,
1: it is the landscape is a lot different for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, I, I, you're right, like it's all they're looking at people who have followers versus function. Mm. Um, and that's, I think that that's a big thing is that's the first one of the first things that they they look at. I think, um, I've I've uh been Talking to uh, a symbol company that uh, you know, I've, I've had a hard time getting in with just because of I think because of the fact that there's they're more looking for guys that are going to be on Drumeo and they've got you know a hundred thousand followers on their page and that kind of thing, and that's just the way that the you know the the market is. Um, as far as endorsements are concerned, I I kind of fell into the thing with Pearl. I mm-hmm. mean i i was uh, I was at Nam. Here, uh, probably four years ago, and Tom Hurst is a good friend, and I was just walking around looking at studio gear and kind of nerding out, and I was getting sick of the noise, and I ran into Tom. And I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna go get some lunch. You want to come?" He says, "Yeah, we're going with all the guys from Pearl." And do you know John Farquharson? I don't think he's a so. new. He's the the artist rep at Pearl now. Okay, and uh, I met him and uh, Kevin Packard uh, o- over there, and uh, we just went and had lunch. And we started talking. And, uh, it just sort of came from that lunch and they came to a show that we were playing and, um, you know, they brought me over to the the facility and, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not super present with the drumming thing online. I, I, I don't push that agenda very often, Mm -hmm. but they were interested in having me on board and, uh, which was very cool. Yeah. And uh brought me in and then, you know, I got on with the innovative percussion guys um a couple of years ago. Another great company. Yeah. You know. Super great. You know. The people the people are what make it, you know. It's not endorsements for me have never really been about um flying a flag of of look at me, look at me. I've got you know, I'm endorsed by everybody, mm-hmm, <laughs> Simbolt mm-hmm. and all these other, you know, stupid yeah st- kinds of things. Like it's it's just more about I have a need, you know, and you know this being on the road. Like sometimes, you know, shit'll break. Like I, you know, I go through snare stands quite a bit because <laughs> I, I tend to destroy snare drums pretty hard. Um, <laughs> um but you know, it, it's it's great because John at Pearl is just I can hit him up and be like, "Hey, man, this is a thing, and it's handled like that. I don't have to worry about it, right? You know." And they they that's that's to me what what is the most important thing. In, in having these relationships with this company and you know and you've got to fly the flag for them and do that other thing but. and that's the thing I think sometimes so for some of us it's
0: it's a difficult thing a part of the contract that you have with these companies is you have to do these shout outs you have to make sure because they're expecting that relationship in return yeah um, so yeah you do you do have to do it because I think I I I may be projecting here but I, I see so much online that turns me off mm-hmm. that I'm apprehensive about doing what I need to do for uh the companies that support me and uh at, at times yeah uh but um but it gets done yeah because they take care of me so I'm like yes of course I'm going to say this but please know these guys There is this symbiotic relationship that has to happen. Yeah,
1: Yeah. it's entirely true. And you know, I don't know that I will ever be the guy that's going to put up a multi-camera setup in my studio and sit and try and and burn all these things. Because a lot of the companies, the 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 artists that they promote, not not every company, but you know, you see the you know the things that they push. It's always some you know, it's always some kid burning away in his room. Or you know doing that kind of thing, and I don't know that. I mean, I would I would never do that. My videos would be way too boring.
0: Because <laughs> well, it may be it may be you know who the artist rep is at that time, or or who the the marketing team is looking for. You know, and if that changes, then maybe that opens up the window at that company. You know, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think the takeaway for this conversation might be: look, if if you're really interested in this company you may have a hard time getting in with them at this point but um, you know there's a, there's a stick company that I'm I want to I'm, I'll be courting for an endorsement here soon Yeah. And I don't I don't know how that's going to go. Um, but I really love their sticks and I think that to me is kind of at the core of it. I want to endorse a company that I've been with because I like the product.
1: You got. It. They, I think that's another thing they look for too. Is that maybe that's something you've been playing for a long time? Yeah. You know, with within reason. You know. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's it's such a it's such an interesting game, and it's a lot different than it, it, even ten years ago how it used to be. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah, yeah. I, I, w- I wouldn't discourage anyone from, you know, following that path to get the endorsement from a company that they're really interested in Um, keep in touch it is about relationships it is about uh, so start at the very beginning with a phone call an email follow up be present uh, and keep in touch with these people yeah
1: and do it just do it for the right reasons you know there you go you know yeah yeah, yeah. don't an endorsement endorsements are going to get you gigs (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't mean anything i mean it's it yeah. does i mean it's yeah. you, you get these relationships but it's yeah. so many I, I i've in many years i've met so many people that you know have oh i'm a, a dw and sabian yeah. and yeah yeah vic you know i've got all the big companies and it's like cool what are you doing yeah, yeah well yeah. nothing cool who gives a shit then Right, right you know i mean yeah. If, the whole point is that you you need to love the gear and and, yeah. and then if you're out on the road, they're going to take care of you. Yeah. You know, yeah, and that's yeah. that's what that relationship is about. Right. And right. then you get to be the the dancing monkey on stage that goes, look at me and I do all this stuff and mm-hmm. these drums are the best and these cymbals are badass and these sticks never break. Mm-hmm. Go buy them. Yeah. That's all you need to do. Right. You
0: know. So, big transition for you in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Wish you all the luck with and and excited to hear about the new opportunities that are coming your way. Thank you. The records are great to listen to and super great stuff and to hear what you're doing as a, as a player and, and all the other things. Um, we've already, I I like to close with what's coming up, but we've already kind of, we've already covered that. I think the more important question is how are you getting home <laughs> this bike is smashed. If you recall, the yeah. beginning of this, I uh, I think my wife will be picking me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, man, we're glad you're safe. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, man. Um, and excited to follow and see what's up next, and and finally to meet in person. Yeah, right. Because we've known each other probably for what four or five years or so. Yeah. Um, and i do realize i did see you at forks but i was like i think that's jay too and then you left and i was like maybe not
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm just too awkward and weird to yeah yeah he probably doesn't want to get out
0: people here. meet well through podcast yeah hey man thanks i appreciate you thanks man yeah dude So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and at the end there, uh, Jay had dropped his bike when somebody pulled out in front of him, and when I say bike, I mean motorcycle. So, it was kind of a scary thing, and he did not have to keep his appointment with me to record this podcast, but I am so thankful that he did. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation that we had and uh, had some good takeaways from his experience as uh, someone that juggles many different things, wears many different hats. I mean, quite literally, if you see the pictures. Um, no, seriously, and making the move from another country. So there are a couple things up in the air for Jay in the future, but at the same time, I think with the groundwork that he's laid out over the years that he's been in Nashville, the future is bright for the things that he has in front of him. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. October 23rd, if you are in Nashville, is the date that we would like to see you. We have a free seminar at Drum Paradise where we had our 200th episode recording. We're having a financial expert do a presentation while I'm going to do kind of a rough interview Uh, question and answer session, we're going to have hopefully some giveaways for that. But if you are interested or know someone that is interested in holding on to the money that we all work so hard to make, put October 23rd on your calendar. More details to come. We'll certainly have lots of announcements leading up to that. Don't forget to comment on iTunes and Stitcher. Copy and paste that onto our Facebook page to be entered into the contest for your chance to win the 16-inch crash that Sabian has been so kind to donate. But again, thanks everyone for listening and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.